Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet so is on the phone. Here. Here. The podcast. We. Yeah. Sports podcast. It is Monday, October 10th, 2022. People, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day, and I hope everybody, it's a little bit of a later Monday episode today, had to deal with some stuff on Sunday. Here's the good news, though. We actually have something additional for today's Monday episode that we would not have had, uh, had there not been a little bit of a delay in today's show. Here's the quick rundown. We're going to open the game of the weekend, the game that everybody was waiting on, everybody wanted to see Texas A&M Alabama. Did not end the way that we thought it would, did not go the way that it thought we would, but a fascinating finish. And I think there's a lot of interesting things to discuss about both Alabama as a winner, also Texas A&M as a loser as well. From there, we'll switch gears. We got to talk Red River shootout. And I know Texas, it's a great win. I'm, I am happy for Texas fans. The story to me is Brent Venables, though. The story to me is Oklahoma. It's not working. I know it sounds crazy. I think Oklahoma seriously got to consider getting rid of this guy right now or at the very least by the end of this season because it is going sideways in a hurry. We're going to find out a lot about Oklahoma here going forward. We'll kind of sort of wrap the show. There's about three, four other topics I want to get to. One, Ohio State. I pushed it late last week on this show, on the college football betting show as well. Uh, Ohio State should be number one in the country. We'll discuss them. I do want to quickly hit on UCLA, which I think is – maybe the most underappreciated team in college football right now. Uh, and finally, Tennessee, we'll hit some Tennessee stuff really quick as well. Finally, I will say I do want to talk a little bit about the late-breaking news Monday morning. Matt Rule fired by the Carolina Panthers. And I think if Nebraska has not gotten on the phone with him already, uh, they need to be on a plane to Carolina, help him pack up that office and get him to Lincoln. We will discuss that to end the show. With that said, though, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, as I just said a second ago, uh, it is Alabama A&M. And when I watch this game, and when I think about this game, even, you know, the good, the bad, the everything, to me, this game was literally everything that we love about college football, right? There was the win last season by A&M where, you know, they declared that they have arrived as a program. It has not worked out. You have the offseason with Jimbo Fisher Saturday night. Tuscaloosa, the city is buzzing. You know, my buddy Ryan Fowler um, from Tide 100.9 said that he believed that it was the best the city has. It's as alive as the city has been for a big home game since pre-COVID. So that tells you how great the, the atmosphere was. You have two programs that genuinely don't like each other. AM, I know it's been a down year, but their season can largely be saved by beating Alabama. Alabama trying to, you know, kind of shoo them away like a fly as as AM is trying to come up to Alabama's curb uh, and they are nowhere near yet. And so you think about all these things. You think about everything that we love about college football. This was that in a nutshell. And even when we found out that AM starting quarterback Max Johnson wasn't playing, even when we found out Bryce Young wasn't playing, the game did not disappoint. And if anything, it just showed what makes college football college football is that sometimes we get great, well-played games between two elite teams, and then sometimes you have an injury, and you see a little bit of a sloppy game, but it doesn't make it any much, any, what's the right way, any less interesting to watch, and that's exactly what we had on Saturday night, right? 
Alabama has four turnovers. Alabama misses two field goals. It didn't take away. All it did was add to the tension, build to the tension, and make for a greater finish, which is what I want to get into right now. Because anybody who watched the game, this is all anybody was talking about, the final play of the game that determined whether Texas A&M was going to beat Alabama for a second straight year or whether Alabama was going to win at home, survive, obviously setting up what is now, we know, a top 10 matchup against Tennessee. So I think everybody knows kind of the context of the final play, but let me very quickly set it up. As I said, it was a sloppy night for Alabama, four turnovers overall, three from their starting quarterback, Jalen Milrow, who is, of course, Bryce Young's backup. Two field goals missed in the second half is really what allowed this game to be so close. No, you know, no disrespect to the kicker, but that was part of it. So AM's trailing 24 to 17 late in the fourth quarter. They kick a field goal, they get a stop, and they get the ball back down 24 to 20 with a very little amount of time left on the clock. To their credit, they drive the field. To their credit, they get into the red zone. And then on what turned out to be the second to last play of the game, Texas AM throws the ball over the middle into the end zone. Pass is broken up. Just one problem. The refs went ahead and called a penalty called a pass interference, setting up one final play. And so this is where it gets interesting. This is where it gets to kind of the conversation of a lot of different things in college football. Um, but, but basically, we all know the circumstance, right? A&M's down four. They need a touchdown. You're in the red zone. This is the cliche. You pull out the best play in your playbook, right? We talk about this all the time, whether it's a two-point conversion, whether it's a game-winning play, whatever it is. There are moments in a season where you go deep into your playbook and you try to get the single best play that you have. Well, AM, they line up. They have three wide receivers to Haynes King's left. Haynes King's the backup quarterback playing on Saturday for Texas AM was the starter to start the season. Three wide receivers to his left. His best wide receiver to his right, Evan Stewart. Haynes King drops back, takes two, three, four steps. Pass rush is coming off of his back foot, throws the ball. It goes out of bounds. Game over. Alabama wins. Alabama runs on the field, Alabama celebrates, and this is really where I want to start the conversation because I saw the second the game went the game went fine. I just saw social media destroying Jimbo Fisher, Johnny Manziel, the former AM Aggie uh, Heisman Trophy winner, said it was one of the worst play calls that he has ever seen on social media. Let me just say this. I want to talk about the final play, and I want to do something that no one else in America is doing because I was genuinely surprised by it. I don't think the play call was that bad. And I think there are things to blame Jimbo Fisher for. I just don't think that this is it, right? So this is social media. This is the real world that we live in. This is reactionary. Everybody doesn't like Jimbo Fisher. So when the final play goes bad, everybody, oh, that was the worst play call ever. Jimbo Fisher's terrible. How do you get paid $9 million a year? What do you do? Listen, I don't think it was the greatest play call ever. I don't think it was the most creative play design I've ever seen. But one thing I always try to do on this show, and one thing I don't try to do, and we talk about this all the time, I say it constantly because I want to reiterate who I am, what my strengths are, what my weaknesses are, et cetera, okay? So one thing I'm not is like break down the tape guy. I'm not X's and O's guy. I don't claim to you know spend nine hours a day breaking down tape like all of these coaches do to put themselves in position to make $9 million a year to be a head coach. Why I bring it up, though, is this. I've watched football for a long time, and we're going to talk about that a little bit with Brent Venables here in a minute. You know when you know. And when I know about the last play for Texas A&M, I've watched football long enough to, I think, have a pretty good idea of what Jimbo Fisher was trying to do. As I said, and I think context matters here, three wide receivers to the bet, to the left, the best wide receiver on the right, Evan Stewart, true freshman, five-star, one of those five-star can't-miss kids for Texas A&M. And so I've watched enough football to know what Jimbo Fisher was trying to do. You get your best wide receiver, run on one-on-one, quick throw. You use the other three to kind of pull the rest of the defense away from uh, away from the, the wide receiver on the right. You get him one-on-one, quick pass. You try to score a touchdown, game over. You run off the field, and you celebrate a second straight win against Alabama. Just one problem. It is a very – and, again, I'm not trying to be X's and O's guy, but I'm trying to explain to you. I don't think this was a terrible play call. If you watch football, you know. It's a timing play. It is a precision play. It's something that you, frankly, should be working on in practice. But if you watch the play, if you go back and watch the final play, Evan Stewart, the wide receiver, there was a moment when he's open. He runs a quick out down. It's called a hook route. He goes, it basically, it's like a fish hook. Out, 
in, you know, like, like, and so the point I'm trying to make is it's a very quick play. You're on the five yard line, three yard line, whatever it was. And for the quarterback, it is very much a timing route. Take one step back, throw the ball. You have to throw the ball before the receiver has even made his break. That is how you're supposed to do it. And if you go back and watch the play, if you go back and watch the play, you see something very clearly. There was a moment in time that Evan Stewart, the wide receiver for Texas A&M, was open. And so if the quarterback had done what the quarterback is supposed to do, what in theory he's supposed to be trained to do in practice every day, Monday through Friday, the ball should be on his hands, the game should be over, and you win the game. Just one problem. Haynes King, the quarterback, who we're going to talk about in a minute. This guy's not an SEC quarterback. This guy, I don't think he's a, a, a D1 quarterback. Elite athlete, put him at corner, put him at wide receiver, put him at safety. He's not a Division one quarterback. He takes three steps back, waits for the pass rush, then throws off his back foot. And so I understand everybody wants to blame Jimbo Fisher for everything. And I think there's some stuff Jimbo Fisher should be blamed for. If the kid doesn't know how to run the play, that's on Jimbo Fisher. If the kid isn't good enough to play quarterback in the SEC and you have no better options, that's on Jimbo Fisher. But don't blame Jimbo Fisher for the play call. The wide receiver was there. The play was open for a split second. You're on the one, two, three yard line, whatever it was. You don't have time to drop back and make. So the point I'm trying to make, don't blame Jimbo Fisher. Regardless, Alabama wins and Alabama improves to 6-0 and while Texas A&M is 3-3 three and three heading into their bye. Really quickly, what I want to do now, we broke down the final play, gave you my opinion. I know many of you will disagree. What I want to do, though, is in the 30,000-foot view, really talk about what the, this game means for both programs. Because I think there's a lot of positives and I think there's a lot of negatives to take out for each. Let's start with Alabama because, you know, for Alabama, I think there's one clear negative. But because I'm a glasses half full guy, let's start with the positives. And the positive to me is I just want you to close your eyes for a second. I want you to think about what happened Saturday in Tuscaloosa, okay? Alabama entered the game without its starting quarterback. I'm going to give you about four or five things that were working against Alabama, and I want you to close your eyes and think about this. If I had told you on Friday's show, in the preview to this game, said Torres has a crystal ball, Torres can see into the future. Here's what is going to happen on Saturday in Tuscaloosa. I said that Alabama will play without Bryce Young. I told you that Alabama is going to have four turnovers with the backup quarterback in Jalen Milrow. I told you that Alabama was going to miss two field goals. I told you that two of the turnovers from the Alabama offense would directly lead to points from Texas A&M. Close your eyes and think about what would you have thought the vital score of this game would be? Probably Texas A&M winning, maybe by a lot. So the fact that Alabama got through this game, it's what I tell you all the time. It doesn't matter how they won. It doesn't matter how weird it is. If Alabama's hoisting that national championship trophy in January at SoFi Stadium right down the street from where I live, nobody's going to be like, oh, you know, well, if A&M, they only beat A&M by four. It's like, yeah, who cares? You play close games all the time. They found a way to win and credit to them. I think that's a positive. And I think largely the team around the quarterback position is coming together. The defense is officially elite. I don't think there's any ifs, ands, or buts about that. Texas A&M, yes, it was close. But Texas A&M, as I just told you, they had a couple short fields, barely broke 300 yards of total offense despite the four turnovers. Um, on top of that, Jameer Gibbs, he's turning into a bona fide star. This guy saved Alabama against Arkansas. Two huge touchdown runs made that game non-competitive. And then on top of that, 154 yards on Saturday against Texas A&M. I think the wide receiver group is coming together. And so I bring it all up to say, I actually feel pretty good about the team around the quarterback at Alabama. Now let's very briefly talk about the negative for Alabama. It's pretty clear that if Bryce Young ever gets hurt again or is out for an extended period of time, or heck, if he somehow cannot play this weekend against Tennessee, Alabama is in big trouble. Okay, listen, I thought it was really interesting in the lead up to this game. One thing, you know, I get stuff right, I get stuff wrong. But one thing I always do is I watch the games that I talk about. And so I bring it up because going into this game, I saw this interesting narrative of, you know, Jalen Milrow was pretty good against Arkansas. Jalen Milrow threw the ball six times against Arkansas. Now, he had a couple of nice runs, but it was clear that Alabama did not want to put him in positions where he had to throw the ball. And much like Texas, when Quinn Ewers got hurt, the entire game plan changed when the backup quarterback came in. And so I bring it up because I think what has become increasingly clear, Alabama's in real trouble if anything serious happens to Bryce Young. 
Jalen Milrow is not going to win you a national championship this year. This is not going to be Cardale Jones coming off the bench for Ohio State. Um, this is not going to be, I don't know if there's another good example outside of that. Um, it's not going to be Tua replacing Jalen Hurts in the national championship game. It is going to be, if, if Bryce Young gets hurt, you're screwed. And then I think there's an interesting conversation about the Alabama quarterback position after Bryce Young leaves. But I think we all need to hope for the sake of, you know, one, Bryce Young's health, but two, you know, for college football's sake, for Alabama's sake, better hope Bryce Young doesn't get hurt this year. Again, you don't want to rush him back. I don't want to put him at his health at jeopardy. I'm just saying, I don't think they can win this weekend at Tennessee without Bryce Young, let alone uh, survive the season against Tennessee. They have to go to Ole Miss. They have to go to LSU. They play the SEC championship game. I don't think they can survive all that with Bryce Young. Now let's get to Texas a and I think the Texas A&M story and conversation coming out of this game is absolutely fascinating, okay? And like te- Alabama, I think there's two very different ways to look at the Texas A&M thing. Let's start with the positives for Texas A&M. Alabama coming into this game had every reason to want to take it out on Texas A&M. Texas A&M beat them last year. Texas A&M has recruited at an elite level. You determine what's going on behind the scenes. It's not my business. A&M has positioned itself as we think we're the next Bama. Now, Georgia's probably the next Bama, but Texas A&M thinks that they're knocking on that doorstep. You have the Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher off the field stuff. You have, again, a loss last year. I thought everybody was overplaying the importance of the Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban stuff and underplaying the fact that Alabama is just motivated because they lost to Texas A&M last year. And so I bring it up because Alabama had every reason to steamroll Texas A&M last, on Saturday night, and A&M was a play away from winning that game. A play away in a game where Alabama had every piece of motivation in the world from beating Alabama for a second straight game. And yes, part of it was that Bryce Young didn't play. But also remember, Texas A&M starting quarterback did not play as well. Max Johnson was out, Haynes King was in. So you have that going for you. What I think you also have going for you If you watch that game and if you really follow recruiting or if you just pulled up 24-7 sports on Saturday and you saw that recruiting class from last year, there were a ton of guys in that 2022 recruiting class. And I'll let you decide how you determine that all those guys got to Texas A&M. I'm staying out of it. But if you look at that recruiting class, a lot of those guys were on the field. A lot of those guys played significant snaps for A&M. Evan Stewart, the wide receiver, as I said, played significant snaps for Texas A&M. He's really good. Eight catches, 106 yards on Saturday. Chris Marshall, another wide receiver in that class. Three catches, 40 yards on Saturday. You had along the offensive line a kid named Cam Dewberry, true freshman in that class. Along the defensive line, Walter Nolan, Shamar Stewart, Anthony Lucas, three five-stars, all from that class. Best cornerback in arguably for Texas A&M, Denver Harris, true freshman in that recruiting class. And so listen, all I'm saying is if you are trying to look for something glasses half full, all of not all of them, because not no recruiting classes, everybody gonna hit. But a lot of those guys were on the field at Alabama on Saturday, and they held their own against juniors and seniors and fifth-year guys for Alabama. Now that's not to say Alabama's freshmen aren't good. That's not what this is about. But if you're looking for a glasses half full, AM has a lot of talent on that field, and it's a lot of young talent. And you can see the scenario where a year or two from now, they could be really, really good. What I think is also fair to say, and I think this leads to the negatives of Saturday night for Alabama or for Texas AM, is what did I just say? You were a play or two, a play, not even a play or two, a play away from beating Alabama, and it didn't happen. And that's okay because Alabama's really good, but it also kind of makes Appalachian State much less excusable. Mississippi State getting destroyed by Mississippi State, I think it makes it less excusable as well. And so two things stand out from the AM perspective. One, you have to stop starting the season slow. This happened last year. Remember, AM was three and two coming into the Alabama game last year. They were three and two coming off of a loss to Mississippi State last year. At some point, what do we say? Jimbo Fisher, you're a $9 million coach. You can't have your team peaking in week five. This is college football. This isn't the NFL. You don't get do-overs. You got to be ready to go week one. And then two, and I think this is important as well. I think this is very important. 
On top of that, you cannot play down to competition. I don't care who the quarterback is. I don't care who the back. You can't lose to App State. You just cannot lose to App State. And these are two things that have plagued Jimbo Fisher since he got to AM. Slow starts of the season, playing down the competition. You got to figure it out. What I would finally say, and you guys and girls know, I do not like to go after young kids on this show. But I said it a minute ago. Haynes King is not an SEC quarterback. And this is where I think it gets very interesting for AM this year. On the one hand, if you play like you did against Alabama, the whole season's still ahead of you in some ways. You're not going to make the playoff. You're not going to make the SEC championship game. I get it. But look at the schedule. Out of the bye, they play at South Carolina. Then they get Ole Miss at home. Then they get Florida at home. Then they go to, to Auburn. Then they get UMass and they get LSU. They get one ranked team left on the schedule. That's Ole Miss at home. South Carolina is not good, despite what they did to Kentucky without its starting quarterback, Will Levis. Florida, not very good right now. LSU, I think they're fine. I don't think they're great. Auburn probably will not have a coach by the time you guys and girls go uh, before Texas A&M host, goes to Auburn later in the year. So the nine, the path to 9-3 and three is there, but I do think there's something else. You have to make the change of quarterback. Haynes King is not the guy. He's just not. And I don't claim to be X's and O's guy, but there were three or four things I saw outside of the final play. He, he can't play quarterback. He just can't, Okay. You go back, and it's funny, right? One of the touchdown drives, AM's in the red zone, okay? And there was a play where he rolled to the right. And I don't mean to get super technical here, but I think it's important. This is a guy that supposedly has 4-3 speed, the fast, second fastest guy on the chain, the team behind Devin A. Chain. He had a wide open running lane, and he forced it into triple coverage. The next play had another wide open running lane, passed it across field over a defender, maybe should have been intercepted. It ends up going for a touchdown. And so it's the byproduct of, I don't care if you got the right result, if you made the wrong decision in the process of getting the right result. And that's where we are with Haynes King. And so to me, if you're Jimbo, if you're AM, this segment's getting long, I'll wrap on this. Jimbo, it's the off, off week. You have to tighten up the playbook, okay? What good coaching is, and we'll talk about it with Josh Heupel, with Chip Kelly, with Ryan Day later in this show, is looking at the personnel that you have and determining the best way to move forward and have success. Good coaching is not having a playbook the size of an Applebee's menu or a, a, a Cheesecake Factory menu demanding that your quarterback learn all of it and then saying, go out and win us ballgame. Being a good coach, scale back the playbook, take out Haynes King, as I said, moving to running back or wide receiver, and putting Connor Wegman, the true freshman. I don't care if he's not ready. You have to start building for 2023. We've said 2023 is the year forever. You know that's the guy that you want under center. Get him reps now. And by the way, if he's not good, there's this thing called the transfer portal. You'll find somebody else. But that's what you have to do, and that's what the frustrating thing I think is for AM fans right now. You can see the future. It's right there. It, you're on the precipice. You're good on the D-line. You're good at corner. You're good at wide receiver. you got to figure out quarterback. Haynes King ain't it. Woo! That was a loaded first segment of the Aaron Sports Podcast. Here's what I'm going to do. Take a quick break. Going to come back. We are going to hit on that Red River shootout. Texas, Oklahoma. I'm not Mr. Fire everybody. I think Oklahoma's got to start thinking about Brent Venables. He ain't the guy. It's very obvious. We're going to discuss that next. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred app. Listen, I've told you all about Betfred. I've told you that they st- were started in 1967. In the UK, over 1,600 shops in the UK, one of the most reputable, well-respected sports books overseas. And now they have come to the United States and made a huge splash. They are our presenting sponsor. They are the gambling sponsor of the Cincinnati Bengals, Denver Broncos, Colorado Rockies. And more important than anything else, they do more for their betters than anybody. I told you last week, we gave away four VIP tickets to two listeners in the Denver area to the VIP tailgate on Thursday, Thursday night football, Broncos, Colts, courtesy of Betfred. On top of that, they've had bar crawls in Arizona, the Betfred suite at Cincinnati Bengals games, first pitch at the Colorado Rockies games. You want, you know, you just want a great customer service experience, great betting experience. You want to download the Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred app. And here's the great part. They have a special promo right now just for any listener of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Here's all you got to do. Download the Betfred Sportsbook app. Bet $50 on any college football game this weekend, any pro football game this weekend. Tennessee, Alabama, um, Michigan, Penn State, USC, Utah. Bet $50 on any game. Get $250. Get, bet $50 on any game. Get $250 in free bets courtesy of the Betfred Sportsbook. It is the best offer going. We are so excited to be working with them. Here's the great part. We're going to have another boost later this weekend as well. Thank you to Betfred. So happy to have them as our presenting sponsor. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, Let's get to what is normally one of the signature games, not only of the college football Saturday in early to mid-October, but really of the entire college football season that was marquee on Saturday, but maybe not for the reasons that we thought Uh, I am, of course, talking about the Red River rivalry, Texas versus Oklahoma. Oklahoma had won five of its last six entering this game against Texas, if you include a Big 12 championship. Uh, Yeah, this one did not go like that at all. Final score in Dallas, Texas 49, Oklahoma nothing. First time Oklahoma has been shut out since 1998. Uh, Brent Venables becomes the first head coach in Oklahoma history to start 0-3 in league play. And so what I want to do is I want to break it down. I want to talk about all this. And I will say this. I want to give Texas a little bit of credit, and we will talk about them at the end of the segment. But at the same time, as I often tell you guys and girls, I do it a lot during college football season. Oftentimes, the more interesting story is in the losing locker room. And so the story here. I know we want to talk Texas, and we will. But the story here is Oklahoma, how putrid they are, what needs to happen, because I think major change needs to be made, which we're going to discuss going forward. First of all, before I I just destroy Oklahoma here over the next couple minutes, I I do want to sort of, you know, give full context. I think at the very least, it's only fair if I'm going to criticize the team that I do acknowledge a few things. I think one It's important to note uh, Oklahoma was without its starting quarterback, Dylan Gabriel. He obviously was in concussion protocol, got hurt last week against TCU. He was unavailable. And at least a small, small, small part of Oklahoma's struggles were the fact that they did not have their starting quarterback. Only had 195 yards of total offense, finished the game with, what was it, 39 yards passing? Is that correct? 2.3 yards per completion. 
So it is worth acknowledging that part of the Oklahoma story is that they did not have their starting quarterback. The bigger problem is, though, when you lose 49 to nothing, it's not just about the starting quarterback, the backup quarterback who's under center. It is also what happens on defense. And Oklahoma, which has been trending in the wrong direction for a month on defense, just got destroyed. Texas finishes with 585 yards of total offense, nine yards per completion, six yards per carry, 10 of 15 on third down conversions. It was unbelievable watching the game. Oklahoma could just not get this team off the field. And here's the scary part. They give up 585 yards of total offense, and Sark called off the dogs. Steve Sarkeesian, the head coach of Texas, calls off the dogs. They're up 42 to nothing going into the fourth quarter. They basically sat on the ball. They went 49 nothing going away. And, of course, the bigger concern, I think, if you're an Oklahoma fan or if you just love college football, the defense wasn't just bad on Saturday. This is a continuation of everything that we've seen, as I just said a minute ago, over the last month. 668 yards last week to TCU in an embarrassing loss, where, again, TCU basically pulled the starters after the third quarter. Uh, 500-plus yards against Kansas State two weeks ago. And so this is now the third straight game. Oklahoma is 0-3, and their defense is just getting destroyed. This is not just a bad defense by Oklahoma standards, bad defense by what, but this is a terrible defense period. It's unbelievable. They currently rank as I record right now. They currently rank dead last in the big 12 in total defense. They currently rank dead last in the big 12 in run defense. Um, And the run defense, by the way, is the third worst of any power five team in college football, or excuse me, in the, in the power five outside of Arizona and Colorado, Colorado fired its coach, Arizona in the middle of a major rebuild under Jed Fish. So this isn't just a bad defense by Brent Venable standards, by Oklahoma standards, even by Big 12 standards, this defense is terrible. And so I'm just going to say something, and I want to kind of give you my big 30,000-foot view on the state of Oklahoma. Before I do, I just want to say, if you guys and girls listen to this show, you know I'm not crazy, overreact to everything, guy. I try to be fair and balanced, especially with coaches, especially with livelihoods, especially with um, people, you know, who a lot of other people will be impacted, right? I didn't think Manny Diaz should be fired last year. I thought Scott Frost should get the extra year. I thought Jim Harbaugh should have gotten the extra year last year, which has obviously worked out well for Michigan. So I am not Mr. Jump to Conclusions, fire everybody guy. With that said, though, I am going to say something that I truly believe I wouldn't say it if I didn't. I think if it doesn't get better in a hurry, Oklahoma has to seriously consider firing Brent Venables this season. Like one and done, he's out. It didn't work. Start from scratch. I think it needs to happen. I think it at least needs to be considered as Oklahoma enters the second half of the season. Now, it's important to note, as I tell you all the time on this show, we talk about what could happen, what should happen, what will happen, what did happen on this show. This is something that maybe should happen, but it won't. And, and you know, I think everybody kind of knows why Oklahoma isn't going to fire a head coach after one season. One, it makes you look completely chaotic. Um, two, obviously, it probably limits who's interested in taking that job, right? Who is going to take the head coaching job after you gave Brent Venables one year before you got rid of him? There are buyout restrictions that we don't know Brent Venables buyout. Uh, it is not publicly available, at least that I could find. But you're probably talking in the probably 20 to $30 million range, if I had to guess. And even in the SEC, where Oklahoma is headed, that is a lot of money. And I do think the recruiting is good, right? And so Brent Venables, you know, you could go three and nine and end the season on a nine-game losing streak. He can sell the Jimbo Fisher, give me more time. We got some good players coming in. So this is not going to happen. But I think if we're really, truly being honest and we're really, truly evaluating Oklahoma from the 30,000-foot view I think you have to seriously consider it if you're Oklahoma, and let me explain why. Here is the main reason why above everything else. There are really two reasons, but the first one is this. Listen, guys and girls, I've been watching sports a long time. I'm getting older. I got a few grays on the side over here. I got a few grays coming in in the beard. I've been watching sports a long time, and there are times where teams just don't have enough talent. There are times where teams, um, you know, new coach, new this, new that. There are also times where you can just see that a team is really poorly coached. And I think that's my concern. Like I go back to last year with Scott Frost, like at a certain time with Scott Frost, when you keep losing the games, games the same way over and over and over and over and over again. And then in week zero this year, you lose a game the same way to Northwestern. Like that's coaching. That's a thousand percent coaching. And that's my concern with Oklahoma. 
is if you watch Oklahoma, first of all, Oklahoma fans, I know some of you disagree with me vehemently, and I know some people will blame Lincoln Riley. Oh, my goodness, how could how could you even judge Brent Venables? They lost so much talent out of the trans, to the transfer portal last year, whatever, blah, 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 blah. Well, that's one, that, that is true. What I would also say is even despite losing a lot of talent, Oklahoma still retained a lot of talent as well, okay? If you look at the 24-7 composite rankings, which I've discussed on this show many times, they evaluate your entire roster and where they were as recruits. Oklahoma has one of the top 10 rosters in college football in terms of total talent, okay? Keep in mind that, uh, you know, Lincoln Riley, two of his final three classes were top 10 in the country. Now, I know a lot of those guys left, but a lot of those guys stayed as well. Brent Venables closed out a top 10 class in 2022 when he got in. You did well in the transfer portal. You added bodies. And so I'm not saying they're Georgia. I'm not saying they're Bama. But what I will say is, if you ask Sonny Dykes, man-to-man, the head coach of TCU, would you trade your talent for Brent Venables' talent? I think that he probably would. I think that absolutely Kansas State would. I think that Texas is probably pretty comparable. Maybe their roster is a little bit better. But don't tell me that Brent Venables has no talent. That just doesn't jive with me. And if you watch Oklahoma, it's not about talent. It's not that they don't have the guys. Like, it's one thing to just watch a team that physically cannot match up, right? It's another thing to just see a team that is not well-coached, and that's what Oklahoma is right now. You don't need to be well-coached to be in the right position, to not give up 30, 40-yard uncontested plays. And if you watch Oklahoma, that's all their defense does. They get gashed at the line of scrimmage. Brent Venables was supposed to bring toughness. They're getting gashed at the line of scrimmage. Um, You know, any misdirection has them confused. They're running into each other. You go back to the TCU game last week. There were three, four touchdown plays that the player was completely wide open, completely uncontested. Nobody's within 30 feet of them, 30 yards of them. And so that's not on the players. That's not on recruiting. That's on coaching. You just got to have guys that are in the right position to make plays, even if ultimately they're not as talented as the opposing team. If you watch Oklahoma, it's confusion. It's it's they don't know where to be. It's they don't know the right spot. It's this, that, it's the other thing. They're not well coached right now. And that's not something that magically gets fixed overnight. The second thing, and this is the really concerning thing, and I talked about it a little bit on last Monday's show. Defense is supposed to be Brent Venable's strength. Like it's one thing if you come out of that Oklahoma game against Texas and Oklahoma loses 21 to three and you have the backup quarterback in and like whatever. You just can't move the ball because it's the backup quarterback. Now, I would argue even in the transfer portal era, you shouldn't be this bad at Oklahoma in the backup quarterback spot. But okay, whatever. It happens. It's one thing if you lose 21 to 3. It's another thing when you lose 49 to nothing and you're down 42 to nothing going into the final quarter. And to me, that's the concerning part. This is supposed to be Brent Venable's strength. This is supposed to be the area of expertise. This was supposed to be the thing that he came in and cleaned up. And it's somehow worse than the other side of the football, which isn't supposed to be his strength. And so I know part of it is, you know, I guess they have a defensive coordinator. I don't know if Brent Venables calls plays. Ted Roof is the name of the defensive coordinator. First of all, Ted Roof was washed up 10 years ago, okay? 60 years old. He was coaching at App State three years ago. That's the guy you want to charge your defense? If you're Brent Venables, this is your area of expertise. The defense stinks. I don't know what's going on in those meeting rooms, but be more hands-on. Take control of that defense. By the way, Brent Venables, yell and scream at somebody, man. Brent Venables was this fiery, emotional, angry, not angry guy, but emotional guy on the sidelines. Now he's just standing there like walking back and forth, like not knowing what to do. And so that's a concern as well. This is supposed to be his area of strength, and this is Oklahoma's area of weakness. And so as I look at everything, as I look at the fact, by the way, Oklahoma's getting worse throughout the season. I think that's the biggest probably concern with Oklahoma. It's one thing if you start slow and you're not really sure in the out-of-conference and who's right and who's wrong. You can't tell me this is a better team than three weeks ago when they played Nebraska. It's not. You can't tell me it's a better team than two weeks ago when they played Kansas State. They're getting worse every week. This is his area of expertise, and I'm just telling you, where you have to be concerned with your when you're when you are Oklahoma, if TCU's gashing you, and I know TCU's good. It's not a disrespect to TCU. If Kansas State is gashing you, if you're not even competitive with Texas. You're going to the Big 12 in less than 30 months, 36 months, you know, on the calendar, probably 33, 34, when it becomes official, maybe even fewer, depending on what happens with all the contract negotiations. And so I don't think it's going to happen. And I do think Brent Venables has some, some tough decisions to make. I think right now, I don't think you wait to take over play calling duties on defense. I don't think you wait to potentially get rid of Ted Roof. But my biggest problem is straightforward. If you're the guy, if you know what you're doing, like it, it shouldn't. 
you know, it shouldn't be a, a two, three-year process. Look at how quickly Tennessee's offense clicked last year under Josh Heupel. I hate to say it, Oklahoma fans. Look at how quickly Lincoln Riley's offense has clicked at USC. I mean, if Lincoln Riley went to USC, wasn't calling plays, they were three and three, and they had just lost a game even 21 to nothing because they can't move the ball, you'd say, what is going on with Lincoln Riley? And so I understand Oklahoma's probably not going to do. I get it, and I understand this is college football, major college football, but there's also families at stake. People have moved. People's jobs are online. I get all that. But I also understand this is big boy college football. I also understand that buyout money doesn't mean what it, it used to. And if I am Oklahoma, I'm having some very serious conversations right now about if this does not get better in a hurry, what do we do? And I think my concern is what makes us think this is going to get better in a hurry? You have a pretty good Kansas team coming to town next week, a Kansas team that is ranked and you aren't. I know Kansas just lost backup quarterback, all that stuff. Kansas can play. Kansas will beat you if you are not ready to play. You still have Baylor. You still have Oklahoma State. Texas Tech is at the very least frisky. They're three and three just like you are. So I look at the situation with Oklahoma. I don't think it's getting better. And I do think, again, you have to at least seriously consider it, even if it probably won't happen. Really quick from the Texas perspective, you know, listen, I'll, I'll probably do a bigger conversation about Texas on Monday's show, Tuesday show, excuse me. Something does stand out to me, though. Um, and it's frankly what, what I told you probably three weeks ago when they lost to Texas Tech. I said, I don't think it's really fair to evaluate this team without Quinn Ewers, their starting quarterback. Quinn Ewers, of course, played against Alabama, was awesome against Alabama, gets hurt in the second quarter. And you could see the second that he went out with injury that Hudson Card, the backup, was not going to be given the same free reign as Quinn Ewers, the five-star quarterback who, of course, uh, began his career at Ohio State. And so when they lost to Texas Tech, I said, you can't judge this team based on uh, you know what happened without their starting quarterback when the drop-off is that big. Let's see what happens when, when Quinn Ewers comes back. Well, fast forward, Quinn Ewers is back, and this team is awesome. Absolutely steamrolled Oklahoma. Um, and I think there's a couple interesting conversations here with them. One, I know, and this is why I'm not going to use the B word when it comes to Texas, the B-A-C-K word, because, look, we've seen Texas have big wins even against Oklahoma and not be able to sustain it. We're going to find out if Texas is for real. They still have Iowa State, Oklahoma State on the road before they get a bye week, and then they close. Tough stretch to close at Kansas State, TCU, at Kansas, Baylor. I mean, four really good teams to close the season. So I'm not going to do the whole Texas is back, da, 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 this and that. But I think there's a few interesting conversations. One, Quinn Ewers is the guy. I know a lot of people, and myself included, I had my own questions, right? Doesn't play his senior year. Goes to Ohio State. It's clearly about NIL. Does he care about the right things? Well, gets to Texas. He balls the hell out. He is the truth. I think Texas, as long as he is healthy, is as good as anybody in the Big 12. I think with the two losses, you're probably not in playoff contention. But can they still win the Big 12? Can they go to the Sugar Bowl maybe? I think they probably could. By the way, how about a Tennessee-Texas Sugar Bowl if Alabama or Georgia makes a college football playoff? But I think Texas is for real. And I think – and this might be a question that we talk about on Tuesday. What would Texas be like if Quinn Ewers never got hurt? They were in complete control of that Alabama game. I don't think they lose to Texas Tech. I think they're probably 5-0 and in a top-five team in the country. So credit Texas – unbelievable effort. And listen, everyone's been critical of Steve Sarkeesian, myself certainly included. They looked really, really, really good on Saturday. And I am telling you, you have Quinn Ewers at full strength. That is a dangerous college football team. All right, so what I want to do, I do want to take a quick break. I do want to come back. And when I come back, we will wrap the show. I do want to talk a little Ohio State. I think the new poll is out. I don't understand how Ohio State isn't number one. I'm just going to say it. From there, we'll go through some of the other big storylines in college football. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Oklahoma, I'm sorry. I feel bad. It's the truth. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to remind you about the NFL Pick'em Challenge, the Aaron Torres Pod NFL Pick'em Challenge, presented by our friends at Bracket Fanatics. They're giving away so much free cash, I don't even know what to tell you, okay? So here's the deal. First of all, if you have not signed up, Make sure to do so. Go to BracketFanatics.com. Join Bracket. The Bracket name is Torres, T-O-R-R-E-S. If you have already signed up, make sure to make your week six picks, obviously starting Thursday night, Washington playing Chicago. 
for those for those of you wondering, what do I sign up? Why do I do it? What's the deal? What's the catch? First of all, completely free to enter. That's the best part. Second of all, we are giving away $100 weekly winners. We've given away four so far. We'll name our week five winner later in the week. And here's the best part. That goes on all season. So sign up for this week. Sign up for next week. Sign up for the week after. Every week you enter, make picks straight up, no against the spread, no nothing. You're automatically entered to win a $100 cash prize. We are also giving away a $1,000 season-long cash prize for the person with the most total correct picks. So even if you signed up late, it's not too late. Get in the action, sign up now, make a bunch of correct picks. You are entered to win a $1,000 cash prize. That's the deal. Bracketfanatics.com, join Bracket, Bracket name Torres, T-O-R-R-E-S. Do that, $100 weekly winners. We'll name our week five winner later this week, $1,000 season long cash prize. We want to thank Bracket Fanatics for everything they've done for the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Bracketfanatics.com, join Bracket, Bracket. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, final segment of the show. So good to be back. And I do want to wrap really with about three, four stories from the rest of the weekend in college football, right? We spent a ton of time on Bama, Texas, or te- uh, Bama, Texas A&M. We spent a ton of time on Oklahoma, Texas. What I want to do now is shift gears to some of the other stories across college football that I do think are worth hitting on really quick to wrap this show. Where I want to start uh, is technically in East Lansing, Michigan, but I promise we're not going to talk about Michigan State. They're bad. They're not worth discussing. But instead, I want to talk about Ohio State. Because on Saturday, after Ohio State absolutely steamrolled Michigan State, I asked one simple question. But I think at the end of the day, it was a pretty common conversation in college football. Ohio State came into the day ranked number three. They are currently ranked number two in the AP polls. And I know AP polls don't matter. They really mean nothing. Wait until the college football playoff poll comes out. But my, th- my stance on polls is pretty straightforward. If we're going to do one, let's make sure to do it right. And I believe that Ohio State should be number one in the country right now coming into today. And I believe what you cannot dispute is I think they are playing the best football of any of those top three teams, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State. And I believe they are playing the most dominant football. And I believe they've been the best across the board on both sides of the football this season. Let's start on Saturday, Michigan State hosting Ohio State. And I know Michigan State is not good. We don't need to go down the Mel Tucker train. We'll talk about his contract at some point. It is not good, okay? But the reason that I bring this up is because I do think there was a scenario, even as bad as Michigan State has been, where you could talk yourself into this being a competitive game. Michigan State, I do think they probably have a caliber of athlete better than anybody Ohio State has seen all year, at least since the Notre Dame game to open the season. The game was on the road. Ohio State had played five straight home games to start the year. And so you combine going on the road, home crowd for East, in East Lansing for Michigan State, a little bit of chilly weather, Michigan State's got some ballers, the right things start to happen all of a sudden, it's you know 28-14 in the third quarter, and you wonder, can Michigan State make it a game? Instead, it was never a game, it was never competitive, 35-13 at halftime, 42-13 after the third quarter. Ryan Day, for the second year in a row, completely calls off the dogs against Michigan State, and Ohio State wins going away. And so in terms of why I think you can make the argument that Ohio State, and probably should make the argument that Ohio State is number one, a couple things stand out. One, this offense is absolutely incredible. I mean, listen, we knew the offense was going to be good this year. It has been surreal. They're averaging about 49 points per game over the course of their six games. We're not halfway through the season. Now, the toughest part of the schedule is ahead. But you're 3-0 and in the Big Ten, 6-0 and overall. You played a pretty good Notre Dame team to start the season. You're averaging 49 points per game. You're second in the country in total offense behind only Tennessee. That's not bad. It's especially not bad, by the way, when you consider this. Their best running back, Travion Henderson, has missed multiple games this season because of injury. Their best wide receiver, Jackson Smith and Jigba, has basically not been available all year. Jackson Smith and Jigba, 347 yards in last year's Rose Bowl. I'd argue he's actually the best wide receiver in college football. I don't think it's really that debatable. He has not played, and this is the number one scoring offense in college football, the number one total, number two total defensive offense in college football. But what stands out to me about Ohio State, it's not the offense. We knew the offense would be good. What stands out to me, that defense 
What was the conversation about Ohio State coming into the year? It was, oh, we know the offense is going to be great. It's the defense you got to worry about. And so last offseason, they hired Jim Knowles, the defensive coordinator from Oklahoma State. And I think we all thought, okay, they could be better, but how good will they be? Well, it turns out the answer is really, really, really good. Currently, top 10 in the country in total defense. Currently, top 10 in the country in pass defense. Currently, top 15 in the country in rush defense, giving up less than 100 yards per game on the ground. And they're doing that, by the way, in a situation where their offense is off the field constantly because they score on big plays. And so listen, if you are like driving around and you're adamant that Georgia's the best team, I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to fight you if you believe Alabama's 100% the best team. But let's break it down. Ohio State is 6-0. All six wins are by double figures. Since the since halftime of the Notre Dame game, I think we all agree they did not start off well against Notre Dame. They have outscored opponents since Notre Dame since halftime of the Notre Dame game. Notre Dame game. They have outscored opponents 287 to 87. 287 to 87. They've outscored opponents by 200 points since halftime of the Notre Dame game. And I would add a lot of those points came late, like Michigan State, late in the game on Saturday. Beyond that, people say, oh, they haven't played anybody. And I'll admit, I think Penn State is better than anybody they've played so far on the schedule. I think Michigan is better than anybody they've played on the schedule so far. I'll take it a step further. I think you can argue Maryland might be better than anybody they've played outside of Notre Dame on the schedule so far. But if you're going to make that argument, well, who's Alabama's best win and how did they look in that game? You could argue Texas, but Texas's quarterback got hurt and they barely won. They won by two. And I think we all agree that if Quinn Ewers doesn't get hurt, Texas probably wins that game. So you have the Texas scenario. Texas A&M, by the way, Alabama almost lost to Texas A&M. Now, I know there was a backup quarterback. We talked about it to lead the show. Doesn't change the fact that they almost lost to Texas A&M. Two wins by four points or less. Uh, your best win, maybe, in terms of dominating fashion, is against an Arkansas team that's 3-2. and two. So if you're telling me Notre Dame hasn't played any, or Ohio State hasn't played anybody because their best win is over a 3-2 and two Notre Dame team, well, Alabama's best win is over a 4-2 and two Arkansas team, which I think, or a 3-3 three and three Arkansas team, excuse me, a team that I think is good, by the way. Missed field goal against AM from being four and two, and they didn't have their starting quarterback last week against Mississippi State. But we got to be fair here, right? Georgia. That Oregon win is looking increasingly better. But I don't think Georgia's playing its best football right now. I think you could argue Georgia played its best football in week one. Last three weeks, Georgia's been fine. But Kent State had some big plays. Georgia beat Kent State uh, 39 to 22, 17 point victory over Kent State. If Ohio State had that same victory, we'd be criticizing them. Everyone, no, nobody cares about Georgia. Georgia barely survived against Missouri. Georgia did dominate Auburn, but Auburn might be literally the worst team in the SEC. And so when I look at Georgia, like I think that Oregon win is really, really, really impressive. But outside of Oregon, since week one, I'd argue you're 3-0 in the SEC. You've probably beaten three of the four worst teams in the SEC. I think if everybody's healthy, Vanderbilt, Auburn, who you just beat, Missouri, who you just beat, and South Carolina are probably the four worst teams in the SEC. I know South Carolina just beat Kentucky, but that was without Will Levis. So are we that excited about Georgia? I don't know. The point I'm trying to make, I believe that if you look across the board, if you take everything into consideration, I do kind of believe that Georgia, Alabama, both really good. The season is still ahead of them. They're both undefeated. I do think Ohio State should be number one in the country. Let's keep the conversation going. I do want to switch gears to a team that, you know, I don't know on a national scale how much they will be talked about. I want to talk about the UCLA Bruins, though, because I think there's this narrative. The Pac-12 is soft. The Pac-12 doesn't matter. The Pac-12 isn't good. I'm just telling you right now, UCLA is a really, really good football team. And it's interesting because coming into this game, listen, I, I said on Friday's show, I had no strong opinion on what was going to happen, who was going to win, how it was going to go down. But the one thing I did tell you is I said, UCLA has got one of the top rush offenses in college football, and they've got one of the top rush defenses in college football. Now you can argue they haven't played the best competition, just like we talked about with Ohio State. But when you're top 10 in rush offense and you're top 10 in rush defense, that means you're pretty physical and mean up front. And so I saw this notion throughout the week of like, well, you know, Utah's just going to punk them at the line of scrimmage. I said, ah, Utah might win. Punk feels like a strong word. Well, instead, it was the exact opposite. 
UCLA 502 yards of total offense, UCLA five yards per carry, UCLA wins going away. And of course, because it's the Pac-12, of course, because of everything, um, you know, the, 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 the narratives that, that come in college football, you know what it immediately defaulted to? Oh, well, guess Utah wasn't that good. Look at you guys who had Utah in the playoff. No. Can we just acknowledge, like, UCLA might be a legitimately really, really good football team. And why wouldn't they be? Chip Kelly, coach of the NFL. Chip Kelly is coach for a national championship. They have a fifth-year uh, senior quarterback. They have a fourth-year senior, Zach Charbonnet, who's been an elite running back in the Big Ten at Michigan State as a freshman and in the Pac-12 at UCLA last season. They have a bunch of veterans. They have a bunch of older guys. They cleaned up their defense through the portal, as I told you on Friday. And so, you know, there's this notion that, oh, you know, Utah must just not be very good. No, it's possible. Like UCLA is very good. Utah, by the way, is like a three and a half point favorite in the Bedfred Sportsbook going into Saturday's game against USC. So it's not a Utah thing. It's just a UCLA is really good thing. And so I want to give them credit. And listen, we don't have to break it down. But two things do stand out to me about UCLA going forward. Well, three things, really. One, I think them and Oregon are the two best teams in the Pac-12. I don't think it's USC. I think it's probably them in Oregon. Oregon's 5-1, and 3-0, and oh, have dominated everybody. Well, they didn't dominate at Washington State, but they're 5-1, five, 5-0 five and, one, uh, five and oh since that, that Georgia game. And those two teams play in two weeks. So UCLA and Oregon both have a bye this week. Then they play the following Saturday in Eugene in what's going to be a top 15 matchup because Oregon's ranked number 12 right now. UCLA's ranked number 11. And guess what? Here's the thing. Both of them aren't playing this week, so nobody's falling down the poles, at least in theory. Also, from the UCLA perspective, listen, we'll talk about Tennessee and Hennon Hooker in half a second. I do think Hennon Hooker should be the Heisman favorite. I do think Dorian Thompson-Robinson, the UCLA quarterback, should be either two or three, depending on how you feel about C.J. Stroud from Ohio State. DTR, 1,500 yards passing, 75% completion percentage, 15 touchdowns, two interceptions. This dude's a baller, okay? 231 yards rushing, four touchdowns on the ground as well. So 19 total touchdowns, two interceptions. By the way, one of those interceptions, one of those interceptions came at the end of the game when the game was over against Utah. This kid's a baller. This kid's a gamer. I think this UCLA team is really good. I think they can win the Pac-12. I think they can make the playoff. I don't know that they will, but you look at their schedule. There's two games that are going to define them going forward. They play at Oregon this week and then or after their bye. And then late in the year, they get USC at home November 19th. You win those two games. You're 12-0 and going to the Pac-12 championship game. I don't even know if you got to win the Pac-12 championship game to get there. So it'll be really interesting. Oregon is going to be tough on the road. This is a good football team. Last thought on UCLA. How about Chip Kelly? I was thinking about this on Saturday after the game. So Chip Kelly could have had the Florida job. If you remember, 2017 was a crazy coaching carousel. Texas A&M opened, they hired Jimbo Fisher. Florida State opened, they actually hired Willie Taggart, remember him. Florida opened, they hired Dan Mullen. Tennessee opened, they actually hired Jeremy Pruitt. Is that right? I think that's right. Hired Jeremy, hired, well, we know how that hiring went down. Butch Jones gets fired. They named somebody else. Jeremy Pruitt ends up as the head coach. Why I bring it up is this. Chip Kelly was the hottest name in coaching that year. And Chip Kelly was down to Florida and UCLA. And he ultimately chose UCLA for one simple reason. He thought that he needed time to build things his way, to build things the right way. And he knew he wouldn't get it in the SEC. Now, some would say, you know, oh, Lincoln Riley, he's ducking the SEC. Maybe. I think Chip Kelly was smart, though. I think he said, I'm not a very outgoing guy. I don't want to be in an SEC fishbowl. And I really want three, four years to kind of figure things out my way. I don't want to be win game one or you're getting fired on the hot seat. And so he goes to UCLA and it was not good early. It was funny. I found a graphic from the 2019 season. At one point, Chip Kelly was four and 13 overall as head coach at UCLA at the same time that Dan Mullen was 15 and three. At Florida, Chip Kelly goes three and nine, four and eight in his first two years. I don't even know if he makes it to year three in Florida with those results. Three and four in the COVID year. I actually watched a lot of them that year. They were actually pretty good. They were right on the cusp. 
And then last year, eight and four, six and zero oh this year, fourteen and four overall the last two years. After what is that? A a ten and nineteen, ten and twenty one start started ten and twenty one. You start ten and twenty one in the SEC, you ain't making it to year four. He makes it to year four at UCLA, eight and four this year, six and zero oh this year. I believe. I don't think they will make the playoff. I think they can make the playoff. Credit to Chip Kelly. Credit to USC. Credit to Chip, or UCLA. Credit to Chip Kelly for this, for knowing who he is, knowing his strengths and weaknesses. I could be in the SEC. I could be a star. I could be coaching against Saban. I'm going to go to the place that's the best fit for me. And he did, and UCLA is really successful. From a Tennessee perspective, listen, it was a great win. And we're going to talk about them throughout the week. I don't really have anything to add. We've been on the Tennessee story on this show for weeks now. So if anything, let's that, that's just what we've done. You go back two weeks ago, I talked about Tennessee after the Florida game. We talked about them in the lead up to last week. I said everything that I said was going to happen this week with Tennessee did happen. I said it last week, though. I said if Tennessee wins, people are going to be talking about them as a dark horse playoff contender, a dark horse SEC East champion, and the hottest team in college football. Well, what happened? They went to LSU, destroy LSU, and now what are we talking about them as? The hottest team in college football, the hottest team in whatever. And um, I think it's a great story. I think it's a great story from the Tennessee perspective. I think they're really, really, really good. Um, and I think it's a fun, I think it's just a fun story overall. So credit to Chip, uh, credit to Tennessee. I don't think people understand how much Josh Heupel lost when he came to Tennessee. Now the transfer portal works both ways, but they lost their two star, their two best running backs, Eric Gray and Ty Chandler. They lost their two starting offensive tackles. They lost their two best linebackers. They lost the starting safety. That was after Jeremy Pruitt got fired. I know he had the portal. I know he brought in Hennon Hooker. But they lost a lot of frontline talent. I give Josh Heupel a ton of credit. I think this is a really, really, really cool story for Tennessee. And I'll tell you this. I think, listen, let me say this. I'll wrap the show on this. I think they can beat Alabama even without Josh Heupel, or without Bryce Young at quarterback for Alabama. So it's something to think about. It's something to consider. Um, but I do believe they can beat Alabama without Bryce Young. We will see this Saturday. So I was going to talk Matt Rule in Nebraska. I think what I'll do, it's late Monday. I will, I'll save it for Wednesday's Aaron Torres pod. I think because we're doing a late Monday show, there will be no Tuesday show. Wednesday will really break down the Matt Rule stuff. Matt Rule fired by Carolina. Nebraska makes a ton of sense for him. I think we'll break it down. I think that's it for today's show, though. I think it, today was a fun show. We covered a lot of bases. Alabama AM, and uh, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Texas, UCLA, Tennessee, on and on and on and on and on. I do think that's probably enough for today's show. A couple other results. You know, I think Mississippi State's really good. Um, you know, they beat Arkansas pretty bad. Arkansas had a ton of chances in that game. They were without K.J. Jefferson. Arkansas has got to somehow survive BYU this week and get to the bye. They need to get healthy. Speaking of health, Kentucky need to get to the bye, get healthy. Will Levis out. Jacquez Jones, their leading linebacker, uh, leading tackler out. Uh, I'm worried about Kentucky, man. I'm worried about Kentucky as they host Mississippi State this weekend. Um, really good football team, and Kentucky needs to get to the bye as well. By the way, quick shout out to the Illinois Fighting Illini, who, of course, uh, are atop the eight, uh, Big Ten West. Big shout out to TCU. Kansas played one of the games of the day, but that's the deal. I think it's time for me to get out of here. Like I said, we'll talk Matt Rule on Wednesday's episode. Before we get out of here, though, I want to remind you, make sure you're subscribed. Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. At Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. It is time for me to get out of here. Uh, gonna be a fun week. Fun week. No Tuesday episode. We'll be back on Wednesday. Loaded Wednesday show. Fun week ahead. It is time for me to get out of here. Shout out to Torncrain. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, UF head. I will be back on Wednesday. New episode, Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.